0: You are listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Hello, and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades who are trying to figure out how to live a robust full life that doesn't leave them feeling exhausted. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and today what I want to talk about is marriage, although not the traditional kind of marriage. So just to give you a little bit of background, I am a pretty big fan of Sam Harris and his podcast. I think it's uh, Making Sense Podcast, and he also has an app called The Waking Up App. And in both situations, or both uh, hosts, platforms, platforms is the word, he has a, a number of interviews that takes place. And one of one such interview was with a Mr. David White, who I will have to admit to all of you, I didn't know existed before like a week ago um but i fell in love with a man's voice and with his thoughts as often happens with incredibly intelligent humans who you can just tell they've done some work they've lived their lives they are living their lives and they're living as with as much integrity as they can if he's faking that uh, he's doing a phenomenal job so he's a poet he's a thinker Uh, i believe he has a phd in marine biology in any case all of this is to say he wrote a book and the book is called The Three Marriages. I think he's written a number of books, but that's the most recent one. And he makes a case that we have three marriages in life. The first being the one that we all traditionally, <coughs> pardon me, or, uh, think about when we think about marriage, you know, with one other romantic partner. But we also have a marriage to our work. And finally, we have a marriage to ourselves. and he makes the case that any attempt at balancing these three things is absurd because that's not really how life works. There is no balance. And he makes a really excellent case that, in fact, our attempt to balance them all is really our attempt at being perfect at all three at all times, which isn't really achievable. And so he, he kind of, through his book and as he's describing our relationship with all three—he weaves in poetry, and he weaves in a philosophy, and and a fierce intellect in a way that uh, just is captivating—and it really got me thinking about, in particular, I mean, all three, of course, but the one I wanted to share today was the marriage that we often have with our work, and when I say the word work, I mean with a capital W, because I find that highly sensitive people, well, all people do best, live a better life when the work they do is in alignment with who they are and what they value. All well, of that's true. Highly sensitive people seem to have a much lower tolerance for bullshit jobs. Of course, what constitutes a bullshit job is it totally varies depending on the person. And, you know, it's, it's funny because with regard to work, there's so m- there's as many different types of people as there are uh, different types of jobs as probably there are people, and a good number of people might find tremendous joy in having a job that has repetition, and another person might find the same sort of work to be mundane, tedious. Some people are multipotentialites. I know I've spoken about this before. If you're interested, you can I'll put the notes in, but the concept Emily Wapnick, I believe is the woman who wrote on multipotentialites, and her idea or her thoughts on the matter uh, basically say some of us enjoy having multiple things going on at once. So, Einstein is a great example of this. He uh, worked at the patent office, which was mundane, yes, but that gave him the bandwidth to contemplate a theory of relativity. And when he wasn't doing either of those two things, he had his music. So and so I guess you could say when it comes to our marriage with our work, some of us are polyamorous. <laughs> but there is a a kind of commitment that we make to our work. And the work can evolve, as would a marriage with a person. A person that you marry as a young romantic individual excited about the possibilities is not even the same person who ends up saying i do and that person isn't the same as the one who holds your spouse's hand at your 10th wedding anniversary it's not going to be the same person who co-babysits your grandchildren should you have any life changes us And since it changes all of us, that will necessarily mean it changes the nature of a marriage between those two people. The same can be said of the work we do. I would argue that's especially true in today's time because work, so we live in a world that's so technologically speedy that everything that we think we've worked toward in one instance might become obsolete the next. You know, we think we're working toward a sense of stability and we find to our chagrin that we've invested a tremendous amount of time and energy and, and money into an education that now only allows us to, well, doesn't allow us to do much of anything. Um, at least not if we're trying to work directly in, in that particular field, uh, a specific example, isn't coming to mind. Ex- well, I, I was thinking of numbers actually, uh, the movie numbers, uh, you know, these incredibly brilliant women are, ticking away it and they can make these extraordinary calculations and with the coming of computers and calculators the necessity of having a person who can make those kinds of calculations dissipates which isn't to say that the woman or the women become obsolete certainly the the skills they learn in mathematics are something that can be applied elsewhere maybe in a math class for all i know but you can see where i'm going with this There is no such thing as stability, not really, not in a world that is basically a marble in the middle of a vast blanket of black voidness, (laughs) so nothing's really certain. And yet, generally, or maybe just specifically, you'll have to tell me if you're maybe an exception to this, we each seem to have a yearning, a yearning for that constant partner, And I don't mean, in this case, the partner of, you know, a romantic partner, although many of us have that too. The yearning, though, is is to feel like the work that I'm doing, I'm saying I in this case, but the work that I'm doing is connected to something vital to who I am. Whoever the I is that insists is an am. (laughs) And often I find that coaches, and psychologists, you name it. They'll ask questions to help us get at the heart of what it is that we want to do with our lives because so many of us are a bit aimless. And they'll ask, well, what if I could wave a magic wand and give you a million dollars? Which, at least right now, is a significant amount of money. And if one was willing to live moderately, not even necessarily modestly one could probably live on the interest alone of a million dollars so that would probably be enough to be basically independently wealthy so great what (laughs) uh if i was able to wave a magic wand they say and give you a million dollars what would you do with your time i don't know about you but i don't think that's an especially useful question because to my knowledge there aren't that many people who have a million dollars and also to my knowledge it's not easy to accumulate a million dollars for most people so to place oneself in that arena is incredibly challenging because it seems so out of the range of our experience And I imagine, I'm I'm almost positive, many, many people find that question useful because it it allows them to be a bit whimsical. It allows them to to imagine possibility, to take up space in the private corners of their own minds. And that's all lovely. But I want to ask a different question. What's something that when you do it, you lose time? You Probably know that I'm referring to, oh dear, the gentleman is Russian and I never can pronounce his name correctly, but the book is called Flow. <laughs> um, and I can put the, the author in the notes. He, he describes the state that people get into when they are so uh, masterful at a trade or at a specific thing that, that they reach this space where there's no longer a, a, an I. Doing a thing. The thing is being done. I am being, I'm not running. Running is me. Like the running is just happening. I disappear in the running. One can do it if there's a, a chef. They're in the flow of cooking. It can be in writing. It can be dancing. It can be anything, really. Any activity. So that's my first question is, what is something that when you do it, you lose time? Here's another question. What is something that you're willing to mop up the poopy diapers for? I mean, I don't mean, it's not literal. I mean, I guess if you were a janitor or a plumber, maybe it is literal. (laughs) But I'm talking about what is something that, because every activity that you might immerse yourself in, just like with any marriage, any relationship with another human being, you're going to end up in a really crappy situation. You're going to end up being annoyed. You're going to end up being bored. You're going to find that it's tedious. You're going to be lost in thought around this thing. You're going to be, you know, tantruming against this thing sometimes. So just like, you know, when you think, think about a mother and how she behaves with her infant child. This crazy love that she feels for this creature So much so that when the baby cries at 2 a.m. and then at 4 a.m. and then at 6 30, she equal parts hates that she has to get up again. She's been roused from sleep and she's desperate to get back just a little bit more sleep, but no, no, she gets up and she feeds the infant, she changes the poopy diaper. So This is what's true of any trade, of any activity, of any work that we can do. No one gets out of this. Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, Big Magic, even talks about it. I think the question she raised was, what is your favorite flavor of bullshit sandwich or some such thing? And it was the same concept. It's, you know, every job you could ever hope to have is going to have aspects of it that you don't like, but what's something that you enjoy enough that you're willing to sort of churn through the nasty bits in order to get to the gold just like a mother with her infant yeah you know maybe a part of her hates this little baby for a second but then she sees him and she can't imagine doing anything other than loving this creature even if as she's rocking she's thinking to herself maybe someday i will sleep again (laughs) and in the same way a writer might say maybe someday I'll feel at ease with writing again, or, um, I don't know, a photographer, maybe someday I will not see the world in five by seven lenses. What is that thing that you're willing to get through, you know, do the nasty bits to get through because you just love it and it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. You just do. And instead of thinking in turn, this brings me to my next question. Instead of thinking about what you might do with your time if you had an infinite supply, maybe not infinite, none of us has infinite supply of time, but you had a lifetime presumably to do what you wanted to do because you're independently wealthy. Instead of thinking in that way, I actually want to go in the other direction. What would you do if you had nothing? What would you do if you were sick? What's something that you can do that you enjoy so much that even in your most vulnerable of circumstances, perhaps especially in your most vulnerable of circumstances, you would not relinquish your love of this thing? I'm not talking about passion to be queer. I'm not talking about, you know, when people say find your passion or do the thing that you're passionate about. I mean, you need a little bit of passion. I would wager to get yourself kind of started just like with a relationship and a marriage. You know, you need that lust, that goofball, crazy kind of love in order to get yourself immersed enough where you're willing to put up with all the crap that comes after, like you need that. So I'm not saying swim away from passion. I'm saying though, don't rely on passion. Passion is, she's not a reliable creature. She's She's the flaky relative that you invite to Thanksgiving dinners and maybe she comes and maybe she doesn't, but meh, let her be sort of, she's really as fickle as willpower when you really get down to it. So what is it that you love enough that you're willing to endure or really that this thing might even help you to endure in the worst of circumstances? What is it that you call upon when you're having to navigate a terrible divorce what is it that you reach for in the middle of the night when you can't sleep what is it that you hold on to and wrap around yourself when you feel alone and small and inconsequential what is that thing and hopefully the answer is the same as the thing that you would spend your time doing if you won a million dollars But I feel like going down into the dark abyss is a little bit more impactful than hanging out in the fluffy sunshine, because there's all kinds of things that I like doing in the fluffy sunshine of, you know, independence. I like to walk. I like to run. I like to think. I like to speak. I like to put on online courses. I like to watch movies. I like to eat. I like to cook. I like to walk the dog. I mean, you name it. There's all these things that I love to do. I can keep going. But that part of myself that is so intimate that I would still want to engage in, even when I'm tired and sad and lonely, that's the thing I feel we probably also need to speak to. And I'll be honest, for me, it's writing. I I had a return, you know, I, I got mixed into this whirlwind of of should eyes and could eyes? I have an amount of money that came from the house that I sold in a previous instance and it's not a tremendous amount, but it's an amount that would maybe be helpful to put forth into maybe a down payment for a place to live instead of renting or maybe I could put it toward furthering my education, which I mean, <laughs> Who wouldn't want to get another degree, right? I mean, hello. (laughs) Um, What should I do with this? And so that's one piece. And at the same time, my brain is all going all over the place with, you know, I'm doing online courses and then the next minute I'm doing a podcast and then I'm trying to write a blog and then then I'm moving over here and I'm working as a community health educator and I'm designing curriculum for that. And then I'm thinking about doing my self-care, which includes a certain amount of steps and a certain amount of meditation. And then I'm also thinking about my relationships and it keeps going and going and going. And for um, a fortunate turn of events, I mentioned some of this to a gentleman I work with and he said, well, I have a process that I think might help you kind of get to the core aspects of, he actually calls it core resonance, Uh, get to the real core, get yourself a core filter is the best way I can describe it. So it's kind of like getting to the root of your core values and then using those values as a filter, but it's not just values because values are too fluffy. It gets a little bit more tangible than that. And I was a bit surprised to find that writing came into play, although I don't know why. I mean, I I wasn't surprised that writing was part of the discussion because you start off in this process with just kind of blabbing out all kinds of things and then you distill it into a few singular concepts. And I, I, th- I wasn't surprised that writing came up. What I was surprised to find is that writing ended up being at the core. It, it was something vital. It was something uh, damn near the heart beating blood through my system. And so I started reading through my journals because I've kept journals since I was eight years old. And there's a few books I'm sure that are missing because uh, over time, as I've moved here, there, and everywhere, um, I, I just couldn't keep up with all of them. But I've kept all that I've been able to. So I have you know notes as an eight year old, and then you know fast forward into elementary school then junior high, and then I've got bit, tidbits from high school and a lot from college, and then grad school, and and then you know the, I just keep writing, and occasionally I, most of the time it's just me kind of processing a lot of information. It always amuses me, by the way, when I process information in this way, and then go and return to all of the different notes from past versions of myself how frequently the same themes keep coming up. It amused me, for example, that to discover that my ambivalence about relationships now were present from the beginning and the ambivalence isn't a sense of, I love you. I hate you. It was never an ambivalence of a specific person. Always, always the ambivalence of the concept of a relationship itself. And that, I guess, I, I don't know if I would say it surprised me so much, but what did surprise me is the pattern that emerged. There were these pockets of time that when I would be single, I would be living alone. And the notes had so much exuberance and excitement because, well, quite honestly, I think when I'm alone, that's when I can recharge my energy. That's when I can, you know, when there's when there's no other human beings to consider or to think about or to worry about, I can just process all of my own stuff. And journaling, it turns out, is one area of my life where when I start writing, it's almost like I'm listening to myself. I think I do that, or I used to think I did that just in my own mind, but something about the process of writing really brings it to life, and I just love it. So I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here, and I'll even share some of it, mostly the poetry, so I'm not and I swear I won't <laughs> regurgitate content from all of my adolescent relationships and so on. But there's, hmm, there's a beauty in finding that thing that I can, like I, what I, I guess what I'm really trying to say here is what I've found to be true is that this thing, this writing that I do, it doesn't have to be good. I'm gonna read some of it for you, and you might not like it, and that's perfectly fine because that's not gonna stop me from continuing to do it. Um, it also doesn't pay a damn thing. I've I've never been paid to write, unless you want to consider the payment that I received upon writing articles for the you know specific jobs that I was in. But so maybe maybe in that sense I got paid for writing, but I love it. And writing is the one whether it's in a journal whether it's in a blog. It's a space for me that I can always come to, no matter how fatigued I am. You know, there's only so many times that I can rally and get up and do a podcast um, as it happens about once a week. (laughs) Um, There's only so many times I have the energy to run a group. There's only so much energy I have to do coaching. I have to be very deliberate about how how I engage in each of those things. Not to say that I don't love running groups because I do not to say that I don't love coaching because I do, but writing. Writing I can do at 3 o'clock in the morning, sleep-deprived and delusional and melancholy. Writing I can do in a moment of joy. Writing I can do when I'm angry. And I watch as my writing turns into this bubbly, flowy-looking thing, into what probably most people would perceive to be the writing of, I don't know, maybe a serial killer when I'm really angry. And And I can see it. I can see the emotion in the handwriting itself. So anyway... Uh, The first that I'm going to share with you is, uh, oh God, March 8th, 2010. So I wrote this just after having gotten out of a relationship and it was the first time and I, and there wasn't really a good reason to leave it. And when I say that, I mean, he didn't do anything harmful to me. He wasn't cruel. We weren't fighting. If anything, it was a very affectionate relationship, but nevertheless, it felt like I was suffocating in it. And there were good reasons, primarily being, you know, we didn't seem to have a lot of intellectual conversation. There wasn't, it was just raw affection, which is not to be dismissed and is not to be belittled, but it wasn't enough. I needed more of that sort of peer connection. And, um, so I lamented for probably a year or two of like, how do I do this? And I will say to the other element of the relationship that became hard was, Um, There was a betrayal or a perceived betrayal that I experienced. And so that was hard for me to, to get over. And so having never gotten over it fully, it's like, well, this just gives you some context. So I'm what, 23 at the time, 22, 23. And I'm feeling, oh, so very wrong. I'm feeling villainous in this instance. And so I write, well, the title is my dirty little secret. My dirty little secret is the angel's first sin. The angel that is sexless and peaceful and pure. The angel who craves nothing and never has thirst to quench. That angel has happened upon Eve's apple and now desperately wants a bite. My angel has become my mother's daughter, now curious and ripe. My dirty little secret is that I eat without shame, wanting nothing more than morsel after delightful morsel. I shall taste food. I shall taste touch. I shall taste flesh. I will roll in the gravel of the earth and watch everyone scorn me for being too childish and selfish and sloppy. I will laugh with the water that bubbles in streams and roar like the thunder from a hurricane storm. Then I will say I'm sorry and my dirty little secret is that i'll mean it and then i'll take another bite and know my apology was a lie so i could write to you all of the i mean not write to you i could i could explain all of what that the context of that was i could go into a lot of detail this is the thing i love about poetry in particular so i love to write and i could give you reams of paper about all the things i've written about but i especially love poetry because it doesn't require context necessarily it doesn't require that you know, I, it doesn't require that I tell the story. Poetry is the story of emotion on its own. Anyway. <laughs> when I write, there's something that happens to me. I'm not actually doing the writing. The writing is happening. And what's neat about this is it's one area of my life that even if I were stuck on a train with no money, in my, no money to my name, nothing but a piece of paper and a pen. For those moments while I was writing, that would bring me a measure of contentment. That's all I would need. That's something, right? Highly sensitive people, it turns out, need this as much as they need food. All people, I would imagine, really need some creative outlet because creativity isn't something that you cultivate, it's not something that you build, it's not a skill. It's something we all have. This is something that Jacob Nordby expresses quite frequently in Blessed are the Weird. It's like, we, we aren't unique. It's just that highly sensitive people being that they are constantly digesting so much information. An analogy that a psychotherapist who works with highly sensitive people often uses is, you know, we all have a, a tank of emotions that we can tolerate. And for most people in the world, about 80% of people, every time something happens to them, it's like another cup of, gets filled and then they just plop it into the bucket and the tank over time gets starts to get to capacity and then it has to be emptied and processed well for most people it's one cup at a time maybe one cup a day maybe five cups a day for a highly sensitive person it just maybe a hundred cups are getting thrown into this thing every day it's a lot of information and so then the upside is there's lots of content and information to sift through that there's lots of juice there The downside is that means we have to be emptying this thing more frequently. Creativity is a means of emptying it. I will say in terms of, you know, I guess it's not just emptying the tank. It's also stripping. It's a kind of stripping. It's, it's not that we don't have creativity within us. It's that there's this outer self that we've created and and we need. So this outer self that we, you know, I think Freud might call it the ego. Um, Yun, I think would do the same but we need our ego to converse with the world, to to advocate for for that core version of ourselves, like we to socialize. So I'm not bashing the ego here, but that core part of ourselves that is unaffected by the circumstances of our lives and is curious and calm and just sort of not even curious because even that's an emotion. It is just solidly there or maybe solidly not there. I don't know. But that part of ourselves that, is sort of the pure potential and it it converses with the world our ego can sometimes get in the way of that conversation it can be less a facilitator and more a blockade so sometimes our job is really just to improve the connection between what's going on inside of us and the version of us that we're using to advocate and then how we express that to the world that sort of streamlined communication we're trying to get rid of the fuzz and for some people, that happens with music. You, you can hear that pure connection in Mozart's music, for example. Sometimes it can happen with poetry. Sometimes it can happen with painting. What's your thing? What's the thing that brings you so much ease and delight and maybe even pain, but you don't care about the pain? Anyway, so this one I'm going to read is called Time. Time. There's a fog surrounding the contours of the island I call my mind. The billowing puffs of elusive water taunt me. And yet, by virtue of its secretive veil, I'm left with the illusion of limitless possibility. Just beyond reach, it leaves the world less colorful, less vibrant, less real. But also less mundane. I'm not ready yet to give up the possibility of dreams yet to materialize, If I leave this place of unrealized opportunity, color will begin to point the outlines of my unexplored terrain. The softness will evaporate into rough gravel. Echoes will become staccato drumbeats. To surrender to life is to walk away from a world of yet-to-be-witnessed breaths, births, lives. I'm left with a choice. Eternity of dreams or an instant of wakefulness. So rather than choose, I stay awake at night while others retire. And I let my mind sleep during the day behind the image of opened eyes. I'm killing time, and it's laughing at me. For in every moment I spend avoiding and hiding from my fate is a moment stolen. Wake up. It's time to breathe. It's time to be. It's time. I don't honestly know what that means, Because, well, I do know what it means to me, but I don't think that's any of your business because that would ruin it. That's the other part about doing something that you love. No one else needs to understand it. When you paint something, you can tell everyone around you what it signifies. But really, once you create something, what other people experience as a result of it is none of your business. And isn't that delightful to consider? Isn't that a neat possibility? That maybe it doesn't matter what you have to say. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, The final one that I'll share is one that... Let's see, what this was... God, even earlier than the others. And I won't give you the context because I don't know that it's important. Do you believe in life? I do. It's what keeps my blood stirring and my breath deep. Be careful before you answer be sure you know what it is that you sacrifice. For to live is to cry out in a roar to an empty canyon. It is to know and embrace the sting of real tears dripping like fiery lava from an angry volcano of loss. It is to build a bridge across an ocean, just to feel the warmth of another's touch. It is to give everything without getting anything back, and yet to receive so much that you will forever be in debt. It is to be naked and alone in the middle of an iceberg, quickly melting away. It is to stand away from the ocean, never knowing when a wave will sweep you off your feet. It is to stand at the door of a plane with no parachute, And still be willing to let yourself fall. It is to wade in front of the sun and allow it to lift you from the ground and cradle your senses. It is a moment in eternity. And that moment is all you will ever own. So tell me friend, do you believe in life? So that's the last I'll share with you. I share all of this with you because these are the kinds of things that when I look back at and I read them, and then I look at the date. It makes me smile because I see a version of myself come back to life. And it doesn't seem to matter how many years go by. Those are the pieces that bring me a lot of comfort. When I read the entries of a journal that are just distraught and miserable, in the midst of all of that anxiety and confusion, these little kernels will come out. And these kernels that come forth, they don't, they, the context isn't even necessary. And so that, I think, is part of why writing for me is so, um, I guess I'll say life-giving. So what is that thing for you? I mentioned that highly sensitive people need to have a thing. The thing doesn't have to be classic art in that sense. It can be architecture. Maybe you lose yourself in the building of blueprints. It could be carpentry. Do you lose yourself in the building of furniture? Maybe you love working at the patent office. (laughs) Maybe you love making widgets. Maybe you love that although the job you currently occupy seems boring to others, you simply adore that no one else is around and you can just be left to your own devices to think. Whatever it is, I think it's deeply important to commit to it. Just as it's deeply important when you decide to commit to another human being in a marriage. And, of course, just as it's deeply important to commit to yourself. Now, what David White advocates, not even advocates, what he argues, is that each of the three marriages, the marriage to our work, the marriage to another person, marriage to ourselves, each of them needs to be fed. And in feeding any of them, it helps feed the other two. So... When you take the time to feed your marriage, because that's what that requires, you inadvertently feed your own thoughts and creativity, which also nourishes yourself. When you nourish yourself with meditation, with exercise, with good food, you provide yourself with the energy to bring to your relationships, (laughs) to bring to your work. And when you have a creative outlet, a workspace, a work with a capital W, you blessed with a kind of sense that you have a place in the world even if no one else would place you there they don't need to because you do you've placed yourself on the map and that's what your work really does it says to the world i am here big red dot (laughs) and there's something really special about having that kind of a relationship with your work if it feels like it gives you a sense of Belonging, a sense of place, a sense of steadiness. I'm not suggesting to you that the thing you love has to remain constant. Maybe, and maybe the thing remains constant in some respects, but it evolves greatly in others. There's nothing that says you can't have 10 careers in your life. And there's nothing that says that the work that you do has to pay you. I'm not going to go there. I mean, if you can find a way to make it pay, for, pay you, well then great, all the better, but you don't have to that's not a requirement. It's not a prerequisite, <laughs> Like, but having something that is privately your own, your, your work, the thing that when you get up in the morning, whether you're getting up with spit and vinegar or getting up with barely enough energy to pull yourself from the bed, it's that thing that helps you move through space and time. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And If you have the time and the inclination, I'd love for you to share. You can come to my Facebook page, the the W uh, the, I think it's just the healthy sensitives. Uh, you can come to the membership site. If you'd like to become, you know, join the group, www.thehealthysensitive.com. You can email me if you just want to share your thoughts, Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. Uh, also just a little bit of housekeeping, Speaking of work with capital W and speaking of connecting with other people, this coming Friday, I will. So that would be February 14th, Valentine's Day. If you don't currently have a date or maybe you do have a date and you want to share, you spend the evening uh, doing a thing together online. I don't know that that would be true, but hey, love to see you Um, on 530 to 630 p.m. Pacific time. I'm going to be hosting a one-hour discussion. And the discussion is going to be about romance and love for highly sensitive people. I figured the theme was fitting for the date in question. And <laughs> It's uh, complimentary, it's so it's free. You can go to my website at www.thehealthysensitive.com and you'll see uh, upcoming events. You'll notice that it is scheduled for the 14th and there's a link there. I would be delighted if you want to come. And uh, if I don't see you, I will be putting... The discussion on the membership site so for those of you who are members you'll be able to see it anytime uh, you don't have to join it specifically that time and of course as always if you have questions if you have thoughts anything at all don't hesitate to reach out to me i always adore a good juicy conversation take good care and bye bye